once you realize once you gain some consciousness and it start hitting you start to change you know what i mean and, and understanding things and i got a daughter too that's what helped me change because i was looking at the pictures of her and i'm looking and she looked just like me and i'm like and I start thinking about my life and all the pain and stuff that I went through. I'm like, I don't want her to have to go through that. Right. So in order for her not to go through that, I got to make myself better so that I can be better for her so I can teach her better so she can be better. That was motivational speaker Uncle Damien. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from community leaders, musicians, bartenders, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 38, part two. In part one, Damien spoke of his life leading up to his becoming Uncle Damien. In this podcast, he talks more about that transformation, his inspirations and influences, and his love for San Francisco. Here's Uncle Damien. But before I became Uncle Damien, yeah. I, um, you know, this is all public knowledge, and I'm not, and I'm not um, trying to glorify anything that I did before I changed my life because it was just, it was definitely some acts of um, of a young man that didn't have a father, didn't have proper guidance, mentorship, and when some did come his way, he was he didn't know how to incorporated into his life properly you know because uh you know i, I give a lot of uh, pay a lot of homage to jack jackwell from omega boys club i don't know if you're familiar with him or not he's been doing a lot of work in the community um with young boys especially coming through juvenile hall you know uh and 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 the guests that he had brought up to the community meetings that we had you know i pay homage to them but in the totality, you know, there wasn't no one around guiding us in a proper manner. You know, I mean, it was young people, uh, the blind leading the blind. And if we did have some older people where they was telling us to do bad stuff, like I, I had lived in Sunnydale. Well, actually, I didn't even live in Sunnydale. I had ran away and was living in Sunnydale in a bad, in a, in a, in a, um, in a Dauphine house. Dauphine is a crackhead, crack user person, you know what I mean? Uh, and another uh, uh, young pimp dude named Smurf. I used to stay at the uh, both of those houses, but I used to sell drugs for this other drug dealer named Duty. He's he's dead now, but I was like you know real young at that time. Um, so you know they, those guys were like misguiding us, telling us to do bad stuff. Like, and you said you know, they were man, older, right? They were definitely so, older. Of course, you look up right. to them and you do what right, they yeah. say. Yeah, yeah Duty was like balling, always had money. He had a uh, he had a nice car, which was really it was an old school car, uh, box shed with with beat in it, with music. You know what I mean? So you know we was attracted to it. He used to have a bunch of kids in there. Now thinking back, like I was like, this dude's a horrible individual. Right? You know right. what I mean? Like why was he doing that? But it's kind of like, but but at the same time, same token, believe it or not, I use some of his tactics now to help guide the kids in the right direction. Like, you know, I have a bunch of kids with me. We'd be listening to me. We'd be chilling. But I'm not telling them to do nothing bad. I'm telling them to do something positive and helping them and guiding them and, you know what I mean, connecting them with other positive mentors and stuff of that nature, you know. Um, so we, we had, had did a lot of that, um, you know. Uh, so I had I wasn't in the house. Like, me and my mom were talking about this uh, a little while ago. 
and because you know sometimes I'd be like, well, you know, we never did this, you and, and you never did that, not like bashing or anything, but saying it. But she was like, you was never home, so we couldn't do, never do nothing, you know, because you know when once uh, you know we had went through some time where she was going through, what she was going through, and I was going through, I was going through, and once I got a real taste of the streets per se, it's like you know. I was caught up in it. Yeah. I caught up in it. I was just caught up in the vicious cycle, and it just kept kept going. And you know, um, a lot of in and out of juvenile hall. Uh, they know me just as well as my family know me. You know, from you mean like today when there. you go there. They oh yeah, today. Yeah, if there are people that have been there for a while, and and then yeah. you know, I went to I went to um, Glenwood, which is uh, the boys' ranch for San Mateo County. Because like uh, uh, my grandparents lived in Daly City, and sometimes like that was like our permanent address. Like that was the address you put down on the papers and stuff. Where like the mail that. came. Right, exactly where the mail came. But we moved around a little bit, you know. But so that was like my, my county. So like I had gotten trouble, and plus I used to get in trouble in Daly City. They sent me to uh, to their boys' ranch. I did. I got out of there. Ended up getting in trouble some more. Did a couple uh, stints in Hillcrest. Juvenile Hall, spent a lot of time in YGC Youth Guidance Center, Juvenile Hall. I went to the boys' ranch that they have, the San Francisco Law Cabin. Uh, about three, four different group homes. I went to Guadalupe, home for boys in L.A., and uh, eventually ended up uh, going to the Youth Authority. And then uh, Jack Jacqua helped me to get to a place called Glen Mill School for Boys on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. You know, um, and I was going there, and I, and I did, and I was doing cool. I did that program. I was there for about like two years, um, give or take. Still a teenager, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left from there when I was like eighteen and some change. Okay. Eighteen and some change and everything. A few little things. Then I ended up getting back in trouble again. Um, Out there, or back here. No, back here, back back in the city. Ended up getting into trouble again. Um, you know, and I started. Uh, just being back in the street, selling drugs, messing with guns, doing things, and end up leading t- to me being given a 10-year sentence uh, to a federal prison. So I ended up doing 10 years in federal prison. Wow. And, um, you know, while I was doing that uh, time, uh, you know, I started to change. I-, I met some people. I was reading some books, and I was really like, you know, I'm kind of being modest. Like I said, I don't like to glorify that life, but I was like, I was kind of like one of them dudes in the streets, you know, people look, looked up to, you know, I had a few little flashy things. I knew a lot of people from, from being around. Like when you locked up, you meet a lot of people. So it's like, I knew a lot of people in the city from being in juvenile hall and in these group homes and stuff. So when I got out, I wouldn't visit them. So I go all over. So it's kind of like, like I'm, I'm I like, I, I represent Hunter's point, you know what I mean? But I'm really like a city boy. Like I, I go all over the city. I bought a Hyundai when I was 13. I had two tens up to a Walkman, so I was driving. I used to go to different <laughs> hoods. Oh, yeah, 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 the whip, you know. And um, so, you know, I know a lot of people, so I can go everywhere. So I'm like 100 point. Like I went to school, uh, middle school right over here down the street where from where we had at Roosevelt, you know. Um, so, but I, you know, so I got a lot of ties at a lot of different places, you know, so I could go all around. You know, so like when people were coming to to prison, you know, they were quote unquote happy to see me and I was happy to see them. But it started clicking. I'm like, why are we so happy, man? We're in prison. We're not supposed to be here. 
And then, you know, I had uh, I had joined the Nation of Islam for a minute. I'm not in the nation anymore, even though I pay homage to the nation for helping to spark some change mm-hmm. in, in, in me and, and bring me some enlightenment. The nation helped me realize that I needed to forgive my mother. My mother was on drugs for a little bit and did some things and maybe not, a, you know, like I said, she made some decisions that she probably wouldn't make today. Right. Like we all have. We all know, grow. And, um, yeah. But I love my mom to death, you know, and... Um, so while I was there, you know, I started reading and then I helped create a program called Start. Start taking alternative routes today. It's kind of like scare straight, but not so scared. We convinced the city of Lumpoc where I was at to bring the kids up from the group homes and uh, uh, group homes and the juvenile halls up for, for me to talk to them, mm-hmm. you know, and we started talking to them. Then we created a panel and it was other individuals like myself who've been in jail and been through some things. And we're like telling these kids to not you know, do the things that we done. And I became pen pals with a lot of the kids and stuff like that and and had achieved a, a certain level of success and helped with the youth to where the parents were writing me and thanking me and the schools and stuff like that. And I had got a award from the city of Lumpoc while I was in prison, you know, so, and I realized I was like, I could make a difference. My voice really could make a difference. I could really help some people. And I started like talking to the, the other young kids that were coming to the jail, like not the kids, but like some of my little young homies that were getting locked up, you know, starting to tell them like, man, this ain't the, you know, start teaching them some different stuff, awakening their minds as I was awakening mine, you know, cause you know, it's like, you know, like I was kid and with learning, I was kidding in mentality. I might've been in my twenties, but you know, like when you learn some stuff, and you happy about it, you wanna hurry up and tell somebody else. Yeah. Like, whoa, like look at what I learned. Like yeah. you need to learn this too. And I was, so I was teaching other people a lot of stuff. Um Would you say you were finding a new purpose? At that time. For yourself? Yeah, did you did I you already so. kinda realize that? Like a new direction? You're like I could I can turn my experiences yes. of making wrong wow. making bad decisions mm-hmm. into And that's how I looked at it, like, you know, how I can use the pain that I went through to try to help some other people so they ain't got to go through that because you know i don't put a, i don't put a whole lot of emphasis on it because i don't be looking for no sympathy or whatnot but i dealt with a lot of pain myself a lot of trauma you know um just from being around from seeing some of the things i've seen doing some of the things i've done that i'm not happy about you know and that's another thing people that I like people don't talk about a lot and i don't even talk about it a lot but once you come into consciousness it's like something hits you like you know you now now you know better like you always knew better but then you realize like oh that was terrible like you know what i'm saying what i did and like that hit you and it's part of my ptsd you know uh that i have um but and then it hits you but then then you have to practice it whatever it is you learn right the realization then you have to start practicing right that's true too but i'm talking about hitting me like let's say one day you think that Hitting an old lady over her head and taking her money is not bad. It's not wrong. But then the next day you find out, like, that's the worst thing you could ever do in your life. Then you get, you, then you have that realization that hits you like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't do that. But I'm just saying, for example, like, I've sold drugs to my own people. And then when you realize that, you know, selling drugs to your own people is destroying your people. You know what I'm saying? It's making it worse. Like, you know. I was upset with my mother for doing drugs, but I sold drugs. You know what I mean? If I was a real good son, I would have went and got my mama like, come on, mom, let me take you to this rehab and try to help you be better. 
in, instead of demonizing her and ridiculing her or whatever, being upset, you know what I mean? Be a good son, stay home, handle your business and help your family fight through it instead of going out into the streets and adding to the problem. Perpetuating. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. But once you realize that, like, that's something heavy, like, you got to, you know, I cry behind that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I still, you know, it weighs heavy on my shoulders to today. You know, um, we're getting all off the point in San Francisco. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. This you is know, about you. Um, you know, it's like, um, you know, I got, I, I think about that. Like, I could have been, I'm like, you see, I'm a big guy. Like, shit, man, I could have been in the NFL. I could have been playing. I could have, you know, my mom's 60 now. You know what I mean? Or, or close, you know, she's like 57. You know what I mean? Um, I could have made our lives so much better. And in turn, I made it worse, you know. And that's something heavy on you. Like Once you realize, once you gain some consciousness and it start hitting you, you start to change, you know what I mean, and, and understanding things. And I got a daughter, too. That's what helped me change. Cause I was looking at the pictures of her, and I'm looking, and she looked just like me. And I'm like, and I start thinking about my life and all the pain and stuff that I went through. I'm like, I don't want her to have to go through that. Right. So in order for her not to go through that, I got to make myself better. So that I can be better for her, so I can teach her better, so she can be better. So when did you actually like? Where did the name come from? Which from, name? Uh, Uncle Damien. Did you did it come from you or other people? It came from the youth, the youth. But I want to credit it to the great Rudy Corpus at United Players, who's the organization in San Francisco that does great things in the in the Soma community against violent prevention and, and helping the youth and. Uh, so he had been doing his work f for a, a long time, and a lot of kids call him Uncle Rudy. And I, you know, I fell in. I was one of those guys, so they just started calling me Uncle Damien, you know. And and he just stuck. And I and I felt that. I was like, you know, I'm Unc. You know what I mean? So when I came home, of course, I just did a prison ten-year prison sentence for you know being ex-felon possession of firearm, discharging firearm in a public place. So it's probably not that likely that I would get hired at a youth center. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, let's just get this uh, criminal working with the kids right now, fresh out of prison. You know what I mean? Um, so I actually volunteered at the Procedure Center for like a month before, you know, because that's how I just I just like, just give me opportunity. You know, I went to a few different places and I got that reaction like, ah, no, like, you know what I'm saying? Because I had a bad taste in my mouth. Like, okay, that's cool. You did some stuff while you were locked up, but, you know, it's different because, you know, people, a lot of people could do, you know, be saints while they're in prison. As soon as they hit the bricks, they forget. It happens a lot. Yeah. You know, it happens a lot. And um, so, and a lot of kids there were like, you know, start calling me unk just by default, you know, because I was, I was being playing that role. So it came naturally. But when I got to United Players, it just really stuck and it just like, you know, Uncle Damien. And then when did you when did you realize that you wanted to do Uncle Damien Speaks? Like when did you realize you wanted to turn that corner and actually work with youth? So, I mean, I, How did that I, all come? I knew I wanted to work with youth when I was in prison. You're talking about like work with youth or like as far as my speaking platform? Speaking platform. Uncle Damien Speaks is what it's my called, uncle, right? Right. Uncle Damien Speaks. Follow me. Instagram. Uh, <laughs> all social media platforms. Okay. Uh, the Once a Monster Now Mentor podcast coming. Uh, but so I, um, this, is, this is what I wanted. I knew that 
Well, not to be too hard on myself, but I don't have a whole lot of talents. You know what I mean? It's not a whole lot of stuff that I know how to do. Like like I said, I never had a father or a real uncle, so I'm not very handy. I don't know how to build stuff. I don't know how to paint. I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to do nothing but run my mouth. Yeah, there you go. Per se. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, I could learn some stuff. I'm not stupid. I could figure it out if I need to, but I'm not really. I haven't really been doing anything all my life except for running my mouth. You know. But speak. I, but I speaking. A, I mean, you said it, uh, speaking is a talent. Speaking is not a talent now. Can do it. But I did not know that. Right. I did not know that it was a real thing until somebody had sent me a clip of someone uh, on Instagram, uh, ET the Hip Hop Preacher. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm Eric, not. I Eric, want to check it out though. You, you need to check him out. He's the biggest motivational speaker in the world now, Eric Thomas. Um, they sent me a clip of him just going off, like you know, and he looked like me, had his hat on and everything, and I was like, "That's dope." And I started like following his movement, you know, but you don't really think about it as like a career or stuff like that unless you're on that level. And I'm not knowing that was a lot of people, so I started uh, following Eric Thomas and really watching his videos. How long ago was that? Oh, what is this, 2019? You said Instagram, so it can't be like five, right. five years? Yeah, maybe okay. not not even for the beginning of Instagram, but it's like four probably years. like three, four years, four, maybe four or five years, yeah, okay. maybe, right, give or, give or take. Um, and now, mind you, I came home in 2011, and I was doing that already. Mm-hmm. Like, they had me, once they realized, like, okay, he's a trustworthy individual, he's not coming trying to be sneaky and work with the kids and do something behind closed doors and you know I wiggle my way in to, to speak in and like I was volunteering at the community center so I would just get the kids together and just like talk to them you know what I mean and then people other people adults who were hearing like okay like he's got a good message so start doing that start doing that then I ended up going down there working with United Players Rudy heard me speak and he started having me colleges schools community center all kind of places just just speaking, and that's what I wanted to do because I wanted to get my message out there. I wanted the kids to understand, like, hey, man, look, I grew up in the hood too. I've been shot, I've been all this kind of stuff. No daddy, mom on drugs in front of, but at the same time, same token, it's up to you to make better decisions for your life. You can do it. There's other people who have done it, so you can do it too. You know what I mean? That life is not the way you should be going. You know what I mean? The gangster life and all that kind of stuff. So I was doing it already. And then when I found Eric Thomas and, you know, he I had went to one of his seminars and we actually connected oh, cool. and he rocked with me. You know, he's the biggest motivational speaker in the world. And he, and Where's he from? He's from Detroit. OK. Chicago, Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually so good. And just like you, he checked out some of my stuff and he invited me to come speak with him in Las Vegas. Cool. Spoke in front of like, you know, 3000 kids and stuff wow. like that. So. You know, at two two different venues, you know, and so now I was like, I could do this, I could do this on a grand scale and help more people, mm-hmm. you know. But you had an inspiration, you had an example, mm-hmm. right? In Rudy and in, and right, in exactly. Eric Thomas, yeah, definitely. Kind of the thing that you're trying to be exactly. now for people. Exactly. I'm sorry, not trying to be the thing that you are. Right. For exactly. Right, just important. And it was like right in front of me. Yeah. And it's like, I got his number. I can text him right now. Eric Thomas, the biggest motivational speaker in the world. He's accessible. Text him and, and, tell, and tell, tell him we said, hey, what's up? Right. <laughs> right. I, I can. You know, yeah. and um, so that's what 
to answer your question, that's what made me want to do the Uncle Damien Speaks part of it. And the Speaks came in, like I hadn't really figured out a name until I met an individual named Leon Ford. Um, and his Instagram is Leon Ford Speaks. He's also a motivational speaker. He's an inspirational speaker. He was uh, shot and paralyzed, um, you know, and but he doesn't want anybody to feel sorry for him, you know, and he's used his story to um, inspire people and make them better. And, um, you know, I met him when I was on a, a, a conference thing in Chicago because I got the People's Champ Award from an organization called Breakout, the Breakout Foundation. They champion people who do great things in the community. So I was awarded the People's Champ Award because they put it out there for a vote and the people voted for me, you know, from the work that I was doing in the community. That's got to feel good. Man, it was a blessing, man. It, it, it felt better than anything uh, that I, I've ever achieved to, to this day right now, awesome. you know, and um, because it wasn't just like, you know, it's, it's not rigged. There's no way like, you know, like people have to vote for you. The real people have to vote for you. And they gave me some sh- money. <laughs> they gave me some money. That doesn't hurt. Right. Yeah, they gave me some money, but I gave it all back to the people, though. Nice. I gave it all back to the people. They gave me like $2,500. I I did a, um, a homeless fee with it because I'm the vice chairman of an organization called The City Eats. Uh, we feed the homeless every first Saturday of the month uh, in San Francisco um, with a sponsor, another sponsored event in the middle of the month. So we try to do two homeless feeds in San Francisco. If you've been to San Francisco, you know we have a homeless epidemic out here. Like, you know, it's ridiculous, man. Like, and it's so sad. And I've been homeless myself in my younger days. I've slept on some benches. Like I said, I've slept on some bandos. Uh, that's abandoned buildings for my unebonic people. <laughs> um, I picked up on that earlier. Right, right, right. I got it. <laughs> right. Um, and um, I've been hungry on the streets by, you know, so so I understand. So it's near and dear tomorrow. And plus, I, I love San Francisco with every inch of my being. Like, I like love San Francisco. Just the essence of it all, you know, from the good, the bad, the ugly, the everything about it i just love it i don't know seven by seven square miles i I wouldn't want to be nowhere else you know what i mean and i think that's a good setup for something i have to talk about which is please the san francisco premiere of the last black man in san francisco the last black man in san francisco where i finally met you yes sir (laughs) and just for the listeners who weren't there i can't remember if i put up a picture of you on uh on our social media you need to but (laughs) you were well what you were wearing that evening Stood out for me very, and it was packed. That was. area in front of the Castro Theater, it's not very big, but it was packed. Right. With, it was chaotic, and out of, it was like shining moment out of the blue. <laughs> this dude walks up wearing a head to toe Muni tra- transfers. Yeah, yeah Muni sh- ticket, head to toe. Shout shout out to uh, Joseph Silva, who uh, it's funny story real quick since we're talking Let's about stories. It. You know you like it. So that outfit that I got is uh, by uh, uh, a group called Certified True, which I'm a business partner in. Certified True. Shout out to Joseph Silva. Joseph Silva is a uh, also a San Francisco native, who was also the first individual that gave me the opportunity. He ran the safe haven where I volunteered at at first. He was willing to give me an opportunity to get back to the kids because they had to get his okay because it was his program. He wasn't the director of Mission Neighborhood Centers, but that was his 
the Presida Center. That was his safe haven. He had a studio back there, and he had run that with the kids, and they brought me in there, and he didn't know me from Adam, and I just talked to him. I was just like, man, just give me a chance to work. Just kids, man. Sure, I just I do whatever you want me to do. Just be your assistant. Of course, I mean, of course, that's good. Get some free labor. You know what I mean? But he gave me a chance, and me and him end up becoming great friends. But he's an awesome graphic designer as well. So he made that hoodie. So what I had on was a it was a hoodie, a transfer hoodie, a Muni transfer hoodie. If you're from San Francisco, you remember them transfers, them late nights and all that. But it we wasn't just like a t-shirt. It was like covered. Right. So it was it was covered as a hoodie. Yeah. But I also because I got a lot of swag. So I had a, and I had so I had the Muni transfer hoodie, and I also had the SF Muni outfit on, which is a brown and orange outfit, like a with jumpsuit. The Frisco letter jumpsuit, right? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's good. It's actually, what it's called jumpsuit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. I was but Frisco you, fresh. I thought it was appropriate for the last black man in San Francisco. Absolutely. Plus, I wasn't officially in the movie, so I had to stand out next to them awesome movie stars, yeah. all my nephews, you know, that were in there, man. Yeah. Jamal, True Love. Uh, Stunner Man 02, Gunner Goes Global, all my guys, Willie Hen, you know what I mean? The guys were all phenomenal, man. My nephew, Von P, say hey, kid, man. It was all my guys. And all those guys are good dudes, man, trying to do something good for the community. That's what made it great, man. Shout out to Jimmy, shout out to Joe. You guys is phenomenal and represented the city amazingly. Absolutely. No no rush or pressure, but you got to yeah. tell all of them to come on our podcast. Oh, yeah. I got you. You know how, you. How, how cool it is and how, how good it feels. To exactly. Be. exactly. And, no. they'll be, and they'll be ready to. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, for, for us, uh, I didn't know those guys when we went to mm-hmm. see that movie. And so, like, I, I knew some people uh, by looking them up on the Internet. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When I saw you, like, I, I, it didn't matter to me that you weren't in the movie. <laughs> right. I didn't know you weren't in the movie, but I was right. just like, who is this? I got to know this dude. That's a blessing. That's yeah, a blessing. That was cool. And I'm really I'm glad we connected. Man. Yeah, I'm and glad, too, man. I appreciate you inviting me on the podcast, man. It's an honor for me. Anytime I get a chance to share my testimony or support anybody doing something positive, especially in the city, I'm with it. Awesome. All right. Mm-hmm. I think we'll end there. Yeah, that's so, good. Unless you got more stuff to tie, oh, we can yeah. be here. I could talk forever, but <laughs> yeah. but we, time is of the essence, man. I just want to make <laughs> sure everybody make sure that you know you support this podcast, man. Learn about the city if you've never been to San Francisco. Come out here, you know. Don't leave anything in your car. <laughs> they breaking into cars like crazy out here, but it's a beautiful city, man. The bridges are amazing, and you know we're just trying to you know make it better for everyone, man. Even. With everybody, man, the, the quote-unquote gentrifiers, man, the tech and everything, man, has to evolve. Just include us, man. That's always saying if there's anybody listening who has some power, I'm not I'm not saying don't come. I'm just saying just include us. You know what I mean? That's why the equity program is so important, the cannabis equity program. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You know, I, I'd school you about that off offline. All right. Cool. <laughs> off I got you on that. Okay. And um, just, yeah, man, make sure you check out that last black man in San Francisco. Make sure you check out that Once a Monster Now Mentor podcast coming soon. Okay. You know, trying to be like you when I grow up, man. <laughs> you know, man? <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Uncle Damien. so much. That was Uncle Damien. Check back next week when we'll hear from San Francisco archivist Susan Goldstein. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Find all 80-plus episodes on our website, storiedsf.com. And while you're there, you can also help support this project by going to our store page and checking out the different pledge levels. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on everything we do. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show for us. And if you have ideas for who should be on the podcast, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening.